Didomi is a Greek word meaning to give or has given. God gave Didomi. And also God invites us to give, to love our neighbor and to give back generously. And this is the idea of this podcast of learning how Christians all over the world are faithful in Didomi and giving to their communities. I have the great pleasure now to be in Abuja in Nigeria together with Reverend Dr. Goodwill Shana. Dr. Shana is the founder and senior pastor of Word of Life International Ministries founded in the city of Bulawayo, Zimbabwe in 1990. Dr. Shana, you are a lawyer by training and a holder of a master's in business business administration. You currently serve as the chair of the International Council of the World Evangelical Alliance and president of the Association of Evangelicals in Africa. Prior, you had served the Evangelical Fellowship of Zimbabwe for 20 years at various levels of leadership within the EFZ. Mm. Welcome, Dr. Shana, to the Didomi podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here with you. And I'm I'm deeply, deeply honored to uh, having to meet with you and uh, appreciate all the work that you're doing for WA. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shana. So to clarify to our listeners, technically speaking, Dr. Shana would be my boss in some ways because I am the director uh, of the Geneva Office of the World Evangelical Alliance. However, the Domi podcast is an effort of many Christians, including myself, to discuss issues of justice and peacemaking by the churches. So it is not affiliated with the World Evangelical Alliance. So we need to clarify this. However, we are all, all of us evangelicals and invested in this effort because of our faith and our belief in the scripture. Mm-hmm. So my, my first question I would like to ask you, Dr. Shana, is in your leadership role, significant leadership role in Africa, what are the main challenges to peace and to the enjoyment of human rights in Africa today for all Africans? Yes, uh, I think across the board there are general themes that seem to be emerging that often threaten the peace and security of many African nations. Some of those are internal. Let me just give you an example of those. some of the internal ones. The inherent divisions in a nation, for instance, whether they are tribal or cultural. Um, I think it's uh, Samora Michelle who said this. He said, uh, division and tribalism are the commanders in chief of Africa's problems. So, uh, if you add some other issues on top of that, you have a, a serious problem. Uh, we are in here in Abuja, for instance. Uh, Nigeria has 251 uh, uh, languages or tribes. That in itself can be a cause for conflict, for instability, uh, for competition. Uh, so, one of the things that uh, Africa across the globe, across the, the, the continent needs to deal with is a sense of unity uh, at that level. I think that is a very uh, important um, uh, uh, consideration. Another one that uh, uh, is an internal one is a leadership one. Most of the political community leaders are often uh, um, facilitators of of insecurity and conflict for their own reason, for political gain, political control, manipulation. And so we do have a serious leadership uh, deficit, good leaders in Africa. And I think it's one of those things that we, we need to look at. 
uh, a third and an external one though is that sometimes our conflicts in Africa are fueled by external uh, international interests. Uh, in, in, for instance, in uh, places where there's mineral wealth, uh, where there's competition, uh, global competition for that wealth, it may serve some uh, international interests uh, to destabilize the region in order to be able to get very cheap uh, uh, wealth out. Like for instance, DRC, the war has been going there for almost 40 years. There's no end in sight. And yet it is pumping out billions of dollars of uh, a mineral world that goes to the uh, making of, of phones and technology and so on and so forth. So th those are some of the issues that um, fuel conflict. The, the, the last one that I, I can mention at this time is would be uh, maybe religious uh, conflicts, like what we are seeing uh, in the Sahel region here in Nigeria, where there's been increasing conflict uh, uh, based on... Uh, whether one is a Muslim or one is a, is a Christian. And you can throw that right across Africa right now. There is that increasing tension on the frontier lines between uh, uh, Christianity and, and uh, Islam. So those are some of the things that we are facing that are creating um, uh, a compromise of peace and, and security. Uh, but of course, one other one, which is the elephant in the room, would be the economic situations in, 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 in Africa, the poverty, you know, the poverty. We, we, we can see, uh, for instance, migrations of, of people running away from poverty, crossing the Mediterranean, trying, trying to get to Europe. That in itself is a conflict uh, manifestation that uh, wanting to get into Europe. But they're running away from an inherent uh, issue of uh, economic insecurity in, in Africa, and that is right across the board. It must be very overwhelming to be living in Africa and facing these challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. And I was, I'm wondering, are there any good practices of churches, evangelical churches, that are responding to these challenges? What can we learn? A lot of the challenges you mentioned are are everywhere. I mean, they're in my country, Lebanon. They are in many parts of the world. How can we learn from each other? What are what do you believe is being done that is a good, healthy practices by the churches in Africa to address these challenges? Yes, I think that's a very good question. Uh, things, but from I will I will speak from my national experience in Zimbabwe, and then uh, extrapolate that to a continental level. In Zimbabwe, one of the big, big lessons that we we learned was that we couldn't do much without a strong sense of unity and solidarity because most of these challenges are much bigger than a denomination, much bigger than a leader, no matter how charismatic or influential. So there needs to be a, 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 a solid platform of unity and uh, a united voice, united advocacy that can engage at any of these levels. And in Zimbabwe, because we were going through um, a serious, a, a multi-layered crisis, uh, I was telling you earlier on, we had 1.25 uh, uh, quintillion percent inflation. 
you know, uh, it affected everybody, whether you're Catholic, whether you were Pentecostal or whatever. So it drove us to come together. It was that coming together that helped us to find answers. And I can see this being replicated across Africa. Uh, today we had an opportunity to go, to, uh, you and I and uh, the president of NEF. We went with the president of the Nigerian Evangelical Nigerian Fellowship Evangelical to meet Fellowship. with the president of the Christian Association of Nigeria. Of Nigeria. So that, 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 those platforms are very important. They, they help to leverage the church at a better level because at a lower level there will be very little you can do uh, in certain uh, areas. So th those are some of the lessons uh, that we are seeing. The second lesson that I think we're seeing more and more clearly is that the church must be able to articulate its, its issues very clearly. What, what are the issues that are facing the church? Many times people feel the pain but are not able to, exp to articulate, to have a voice that says, these are the issues and this is what we propose to be the problem. So we are learning more and more uh, the, 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 the benefit of being able to articulate. For instance, for us in Zimbabwe, we came up as a church. By church, I mean the evangelicals, the Catholics, uh, Council of Churches, and indigenous. We came up with a document called the Zimbabwe We Want. The Zimbabwe We Want was an articulation of what the church thought about the problems in Zimbabwe and what the solutions were. And we are seeing that being replicated across Africa. Church being very clear about what the issues are and what needs to be done. And then, of course, I, I think finally, more and more I'm seeing that the church is engaging beyond just talking amongst itself. We're engaging the powers that be, engaging the economy. The, the church is not just the church in the four walls of a church. It's the church in the community, the salt and light. Those, those are some of the, uh, I think, exciting things that I'm seeing right across Africa being replicated in, in alliances that are making a difference. You mentioned examples of sociopolitical engagement by churches and church associations, including the evangelicals. In order to address the challenges that many nations are facing, economic, human rights, the issues of corruption, all these difficulties, is the church engagement able to walk the, the difficult lines of politics to be edifying and constructive? Could there be sometimes churches and associations that are maybe politically, you know, the challenges that the public engagement is is in itself also a problem or a challenge? Yeah, I, I think the church's involvement with politics, especially in Africa, but I suppose that generally in many countries, it's a bit schizophrenic. It, it, the church comes together when there's a problem and then it then abandons its responsibility to maintain a healthy relationship between state and church or dealing with some momentum in that area. Um, I, I think it was uh, uh, Charles Freston who said this, that the response of the church to political issues is often a knee-jerk reaction. It just reacts when there's a crisis. But the evangelical world in particular has had very little uh, thought out uh, theological or philosophical basis for engagement and that is part of the problem and so when we when the church engages it can be momentarily it can produce some profound traction on the ground but because it does not have clear succinct theological basis for political engagement there is a problem 
normally the church is split into four or five segments of political uh, engagement. First is the, uh, this is not our world. You know, we're in this world, but not of it. A spiritual aloofness. So uh, people don't even want to get involved in politics. Politics is dirty. And, and then you, you get what we could call the good Samaritan uh, attitude. We will help our neighbors, but we're not going to get into politics. You know, we, we will bring amelioration to the suffering, but we are not going to question the cause of the suffering. You know? And then there are those who want to provide social services, hospitals, whatever, just helping people to, to do what, to engage what the state actually should be doing. You know? Then there are those who advocate for, what I would say, benign causes, causes of the widow, causes of children, but they, are, they, don't, involve, they get, don't get involved in the politics of what causes the poverty or the widows or whatever. And then, of course, we have what we call the prophetic voices. Those who want to... The prophetic voices are usually the radicals, the ones that are on the extreme left or right of any. So the, the, the position of the church is often spread across all of these four things. It's not exactly very clear how to manage these four. And, the, and, and each of these four or five are good positions, but they just need to be managed well. I mean, God can call the churches to any of these positions exactly. at the end of the day. Uh, the question is how faithful are we to abide to listen to God's calling and to be obedient so yeah uh, the one danger with that I need to, to mention is that sometimes the church uh, gets can get sucked into a purely political position uh, what we could call a Christian nationalism which can be very dangerous or sometimes it can be sucked into uh, being a servant to the state uh, in other words, it gets co-opted under Romans chapter 13, the kings are ordained of the Lord. And so trying to balance that can be very, can be very challenging. Mm. That's why I think it would be good for the church to have a, a think tank that's not made necessarily of uh, pastors or, or theologians, but just people who come together, will think through these things and help the church to strike a, a good balance. In your country, you earlier earlier you shared with me that you were very much involved in advocacy against corruption. You were part of a Transparency International in Zimbabwe. Yeah. You were also part of the government commission on anti-corruption. Anti -corruption. Yeah. Um, can you share a share with us about this uh, fascinating aspect of of your ministry? I mean. You, you planted churches, you're involved with the World Evangelical Alliance and the associations of evangelicals in Africa. And here you are in Zimbabwe leading anti-corruption efforts. Can you share a bit more about that? I, I, I think as I began to, uh, to pastor people, I discovered that one of the challenges that I kept bumping into was people needed services. People needed uh, um, places to live in or renters. But the consistent factor that was an impediment to them was corruption. And this corruption didn't matter what we, we did about it, it was there. So you, you take people to, med, to hospitals and there's no medicine. And you ask yourself, what, what happened to the medicine? Somebody took the money or there are no beds or there's no ambulance. In fact, one particular said, uh, uh, story uh, that I saw was... Uh, in the northern part of our city in Bolawayo, there were very high levels of uh, 
mortality rates for women who were pregnant. And the only reason is that there was no ambulance. What happened to the ambulance? Some government official had taken the money for the ambulance and spent it on himself. So the one question that kept coming to me is, as a good shepherd, should you be doing something for your sheep? These are your sheep. And so I was given uh, a challenge to engage the problem. And for us, one of the biggest, it still is a big problem in Zimbabwe. The biggest problem is corruption. But then you have another problem. The problem is, the problem is, uh, the problem is that uh, where is the church? In Zimbabwe, 60% of the church is evangelical. And yet we've got very high levels of corruption. We needed to address that. How can there be so many Christians and yet there's such a low level of integrity? So as a pastor, I couldn't get away from that, from, even from a just a discipleship point of view. How can we have people in the church and yet they engaged in, in things that destroy the lives of others? So I had to get involved. And I th we, we, we made some progress, but uh, it's, it's been very tough. Uh, corruption is a very tough monster to deal with. One of the cases you worked on was the case of a theft of diamonds in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Are you able to share a bit about that? Just yeah, the, I mean, uh, Zimbabwe is a very rich uh, uh, country. So uh, we discovered diamonds and then gold. But there was $15 uh, billion dollars worth of diamonds that went missing. And when Sorry, I... 15... 15 uh, billion. Dollars. 15 billion. Okay. Yeah, 15 billion. That went missing. And so as part of the Anti-Corruption Commission, it was our job to find out what happened to, to it. And of course, many, many other things that people... So we tried to investigate this. I was naive, and that's one of the challenges. I was a pastor, I was, I was angry that things were not good. But I was naive, I didn't understand the networks of corruption that actually keep countries impoverished. So here we are with our good intentions, trying to go after these people. And actually, you know, there's a saying in Transparency International that corruption strikes back. And while we were doing it, we, we were, we, two of my colleagues were actually arrested. And I'd heard that they wanted to set up a, 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 what, a, a blemish campaign on me because I was a bishop. So they set up uh, this uh, conspiracy that I made some woman pregnant and so on and so forth. My other two colleagues were actually uh, uh, arrested or there was police that went to their homes to arrest them for taking company vehicle. And it was not even a, for taking a car. So, so corruption is a very a tough issue to deal with on your own or without a network. And unfortunately, at that time, the church did not consider it a worthwhile field to get engaged in. I suppose because of all of these challenges that I'm speaking about. But I don't think the church anyway in the in the global south can ever engage their communities without engaging corruption. It's a very, very important part. And so I want to say kudos to uh, the Integrity Network of which Bishop F and the others are involved in. It would be great to see a more focused and more engaged uh, approach from them. Bishop Ephraim Tendero, Manfred Cole, and yes. others who are engaged as part of the Integrity Network of the World Evangelical Alliance That's right. to yeah. combat the corruption. Indeed, mm. I mean, this, for me, I, again, coming from Lebanon, mm. um, 
You have had similar experiences. We have similar there. experiences, but I also sometimes rejoice in the small initiatives by churches and ministries to to say to ask the question: How can we not be part of this exactly. this corrupt system? Exactly. I remember in Lebanon when one of the ministries I was involved in needed a well, mm. needed to dig a well yeah. for water, yeah. and they had to put on the table all the possible scenarios. Mm-hmm and to pray how they can navigate these scenarios mm-hmm. being the most faithful to the those in power saying we are not part we are not corrupt we will not be part of the corruption it's not mm-hmm. easy because at mm-hmm. the end of the day we also need water mm-hmm. so i wish we can have we have more of such examples mm-hmm. to use and to share mm-hmm. um, you know of, of local churches Difficult with difficulty and prayer navigating mm-hmm. these corrupt societies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Shana, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your time. Mm, thank you. What prayer request do you have for us, for you, for your ministries, and for for Zimbabwe also? I, I think let me let me just pitch it at a continental level first. Uh, I, I think at a continental level. I am very concerned about our engagement with uh, the Islamic agenda. We need wisdom there. We need uh, we need people on the ground who know how to uh, engage at that level and uh, people who can take practical steps going forward. People like yourselves who are involved uh, on, in advocacy. We need advocacy skills actually in, in Africa. So it will be something that I would appreciate um, uh, prayer for the second one is we are seeing a, a rise of uh, uh, Christian politicians or presidents. Uh, for instance, in Kenya, President Ruto is reportedly to be a Christian. In Malawi, uh, uh, there's a there's a president there who's who's a, who was Pentecostal and was the the president of the Evangelical Fellowship of Malawi in Ethiopia and in many other places. So prayer for Africa to have leadership that can exemplify and model these values we are talking about, integrity and, and, and focus and, and being able to uh, help uh, their nations develop and be models. So that's, that's at a, a national level. For us in Zimbabwe, we've been going through some challenges economically, and uh, so it would be good for your prayers. For, but the church has been strong, the church is united, we just need to, uh, prayers to maintain that strength. We're going towards elections, and so that your prayers will be really, really appreciated across the globe. On on that, on just on that note, yeah. Thank you, Dr. Shana. Thank you for sharing with us about your work, your ministry, and your prayer requests. Thank you for sharing about also the situation in Africa. We will, I hope, and I pray that all our listeners would pray for for as you as you have requested. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this episode from Abuja, Nigeria, quite a unique episode where I'm currently at a gathering of pastors discussing some of the issues that we just spoke about on this podcast, issues of how can we as a church respond to the challenges that uh, exist specifically in this country, in Nigeria. If you like this podcast, please don't hesitate to like us uh, on social media, share, share this episode, subscribe via your podcasting app, 
In order to listen and to receive our podcast, subscribe to our newsletter and tell people. Word of mouth is usually the fastest way that people can hear about our episodes. So it, it would be great if you can tell people around you in your church about the Didomi podcast. Bye-bye.